0: Hey there. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I am a psychotherapist in Chicago who works a lot with folks struggling with addiction. And today we are speaking with an awesome human named Roxanne McDonald. You may not know her by name, but if you are on Instagram and are following anything spiritual, you might be already following Spiritual AF. I've been following her for quite a while and just on a whim reached out to see if she might be interested in doing the podcast. And to my delight, she not only wrote back, but now we've become soul sisters. So it's happening, friends. I just I wanted to read a couple of her posts. So if you're not following her, go to Instagram right now. I'll wait. Go ahead, get out your phone, open up Instagram, and then you're gonna type in spiritual underscore AF and just like it, just follow her, just do it. So I'm gonna read a couple of her posts that I think are super awesome. One, she has, to thine own ass, be true. We have another one here. Dance like everyone else can go fuck themselves, 2019. I sent that to a ton of my friends. Let's see. What else can we open up here? Ba ba ba. Fuck the bullshit. My boundaries weren't created to offend you. They were created to honor me. You wanting a sign is a sign. Oh, here. This is a good one. You give me a boner, not a penis boner, but a boner in my heart, a hard on, an affection erection. <laughs> so if you laughed at any of those like I do every time. Definitely follow Roxanne. And I think you're going to really enjoy hearing about her history and all the amazing work she's done. And yeah, take it away, Roxanne. Hi, Roxanne. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hi, Sarah. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited. I've literally been singing Roxanne (laughs) all fucking week.
1: (laughs) And I will forgive you for that.
0: I know, right? I was like, "How many fucking people do that?" And you're like, "Please don't, don't." But how are you today?
1: I'm doing really well. I've been busy, but it's been that wonderful busy doing things that, like, my, all my dreams are coming true.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh,
1: I'm busy keeping up with my dreams, which I keep keeping in perspective. <laughs> like.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the women in my life that's happening for them right now. And that can't be a coincidence. Probably not. Yeah. I think all us badass witches are like finally coming due. Yes. (laughs) We're
1: we're (laughs) reaping it
0: now. (laughs) Yes. Yes, queen. So let's dig into who you are and what you do. Okay. well, I have a social
1: media platform called Spiritual AF, And I'm a writer and I teach writing. I run workshops and I do writing coaching as well as personal coaching. And I can talk about how I came to all of that. Yeah. I started Spiritual AF after I was running Clean and Sober Recovery High Schools for 14 years. Oh, so awesome. Yeah, it was wonderful work. I really thought it was going to be what I did forever because I Mm -hmm. loved it so much. Mm -hmm. And so. I was doing that and then I had a very clear experience where it was very clear I needed to quit this thing that defined me and that I loved Mm -hmm. to devote myself to writing and to this next stage. And so when I left, I'd done this program called The Yes School, which is it's no Hmm. longer the same as it was. So I sometimes don't want to say the name, but Hmm. it was started in 1989, six months before I got sober. I got sober in 1990. And I got sober at 15. And then I went to this school and it had only been around for six months. And I went to school there. And it was started by kids who wanted to change their lives. And they asked for a clean and sober place to go to school. Wow. And so I was in school there for two and a half years and was in the first graduating class and then went on to volunteer there and then went on to be Mm. the director. And then I allowed students to, they could graduate one day and then they could be in the classroom being of service the next. And then (sighs) they continued to get support to go on to their next step and blah, blah, blah. So when I quit, I took six months off, but I kept having the students that were like, you told me I was going to be able to continue to be supported and inspired and Hmm. reminded of what matters. And so the teacher of that school who had quit as well, and I started a Instagram account as a way to just continue to go, we're going to continue to keep you inspired. We're just going to offer what we can. It started off as called Unicorn Maps, which I had to tell you. Uh, And then I changed it to Spiritual AF and that she went back to teaching. And so now Mm. for the last several years, it's been Spiritual AF, but it started from this place of going. We wanted to continue to offer positivity and access to spirituality and mm-hmm. humor in a way that is accessible to a lot of people where it's not really being
0: represented in a lot of places. Yeah. And for those who are listening, if you don't already follow Spiritual AF, do it immediately because I seriously laugh out loud like every post. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And and because it's like super relatable, too. I just love... Yeah, I've met some cool ass people on Instagram. And then I'm also seeing people out there doing it in a very what I would imagine is like, this is what my social media manager told me to do. And it just doesn't feel very authentic. But yours feels super authentic. And that's what I really relate to. Well, thank you. Yeah, I I strive for that. (laughs) Right. That's why I don't post like every 12 minutes, because I just I don't have something to say that often.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had always been the one like I have never been that tech savvy, but I always would learn some sort of app because I thought Mm -hmm. it was funny. And so I was the one sending dumb videos to my friends and memes and stuff, as well as that I have gotten through really difficult times from watching silly videos. Mm hmm. And so I feel like that it's not just silly videos. Like I feel like I try to balance between things that are silly and Mm -hmm. fun and a little raunchy with the deeply meaningful. And that's for me, that was the marriage that I didn't really feel like was being represented. I don't think there was giving enough access for people who are not as soft or not as like wanting to speak in whispers all the time, I guess.
0: Right. No. And I mean, one of the reasons that I work with people in recovery and in addiction in general is because of that edge, that harder edge. For me, it's so much more realistic. And I grew up in a family where it was very religious and my mom was very concerned about what things would look like to other people. And so my rebellion to that was basically like middle fingers in the air all around Mm. that has softened in the years. But that is more authentically me is to just be like, fuck it. And I cuss in my class and I tell my students, like, if you're working in addiction, you need to learn how to hear the F word. And so we're going to use it in here. And it's okay. It's not unprofessional when you're working with a community that resonates with that type of language. If I Mm -hmm. came in and was this like Miss Little Prissy proper person, no one would ever connect with me.
1: Yeah. Well, if that's not authentic. Right. When I was training counselors and therapists to be with the kids, I would really constantly being like, you have to do what's authentic mm-hmm. and you have to accept them for who they are. So I think that right. when we would tell people to tell me exactly how you feel and express yourself authentically, but don't use your own language. Right. And that's the thing with the Yes yeah School. I had a rule that in most areas besides the classroom, because we wanted to teach about having some control over mm-hmm. your language mm-hmm. but in every other area you were allowed to express yourself with whatever words that you wanted to as long as they were kind right and so people could say fuck and motherfucker and fuck this mm-hmm. shit and but we had a very high bar for conscious kind non-discriminatory yeah. language
0: yeah that's awesome there were some folks trying to start a sober high school here in Chicago, and it sounds like funding was the issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, California always has it over <laughs> the Midwest mm-hmm. when it comes to these more progressive things. But I'm so jealous isn't the right word. I'm just it's just so exciting when it works. And the fact that mm-hmm. it was around since 1990, did you say? 1989. 1989. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: You know, funding is always an issue, but I did some consulting for other places that wanted to have clean and sober high schools. And it takes a real commitment to the core value of it and not chasing funding. And that's where the Yes School had gone wrong at times and really fell into a place where it was just another place where you put messed up kids and tried to get one or two. But we were kicking the shit out of the statistics about what young people Mm. with addiction could do. Wow. They say like one in a thousand people who go to rehab get a year sober. Mm -hmm. And if you're under 25, it's like one in 5,000 or something. Mm -hmm. And we were having 18 kids graduate twice a year and every single one of them would get two years sober and Mm. get a year in college. Even though I was like, fuck college, don't go to college unless it matters, you know? (laughs) Right. But it was so much about sticking to the core values about what we believed in. And I had to always be willing to shut the school down. Hmm. That I would go, these are the core values of how we operate. This is how we're going to live by and we'll shut it down if it doesn't work. And I think that the shift has happened is that there's not much funding for that. They usually are like, we have an idea and we want you to implement it instead of going, this is what's working here, and we want you to support us,
0: so. Yeah, oh my God, I resonate with that so much because I was just in the midst of trying to open a new business and doing it that way, like keeping to the core values and really being about making it something different that wasn't already in Chicago. First of all, the state gives you so much pushback because Illinois just has mm-hmm. regulations like insanity. And then just the industry in general of working with addiction. It's a machine. It is such a machine. And it mm-hmm. is so hard to try to do something different. So fucking brava <laughs> for making that happen for so many years. It's really incredible.
1: Well, it wasn't just me. I was. Well, I did duh, because, but. <laughs> yeah, The woman who started it, she was such an incredible mentor to me and. She showed me what it was like to do that, to really live by values. And that's what's so much about with change and with personal growth and with all of that is that I'm really into values clarification and I'm living mm. from that deep core. This is the underlying reason to do anything. Yeah. Like Simon Sinek calls it the why, starting yeah. with why. When I found his book, I was like, oh, I've been doing that with these kids about addiction. If we don't have the why really clarified and access to our why Mm -hmm. so much about habitual behavior is about disconnection from what really matters.
0: Yeah, exactly. The more that I learn about spirituality, the more I believe that it's absolutely essential to really being able to be the fullest version of ourselves. A thing that I heard really resonating in what you talked about that I'm curious about is your passion for really helping these students. I'm curious how much of that came from the way that you were helped when you were getting sober at 15. Mm -hmm. Like that's also a feat in and of itself. Yeah, that's a good question.
1: (laughs) So much of it came from, I felt gratitude in the midst of doing it. When I was going to that school, I was like, I'm never going to work in addiction ever. Mm. <laughs> There's like, no way. And Ha-ha, I was, We got I you. Was, yeah. <laughs> I was the last person that you would think. The woman, Claire, who started the school, when she hired me, she was like, you are the last person I thought would be in here for a job interview. Wow. I've never been a joiner. I don't like establishment. Mm -hmm. I was very much engaged with that place and with clawing myself out of a deep, dark hole and the fear of what I was going to become because of where I come from and my family. Yeah. And so there was that, but making it so I could sustain the stress of being on the front lines of addiction for as long as I was, because the vast yeah. majority of people in those positions, they stay two years at the yep. most, or they do two years, even if they get moved up into administrative positions. And I was doing direct service, even when I was running these programs, I still was in direct service. So much of that had to do with knowing what it was like to be that yeah. kid and really feeling passionate about wanting to offer more of what I was given. Right. There's so much ego involved with being a helper and a healer that mm. there's no possible way that we're not having some ego involved in this. And so it became a personal practice for me about letting that experience of helping people be a mirror back to myself and checking my ego and growing every day about it, because mm-hmm. I see a ton of people come in. And they would want to be there so that they could make an impact on somebody else's life. So therefore right. they feel good about themselves. Right. That'll work for a little while, but right. it's
0: not going to go very far.
1: You're going right. to burn it. So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and I mean, I can totally relate to that idea because when I'm really, really honest about it, that's absolutely why I got into the field. I mean, first of all, I wanted to figure out what the fuck happened in my family, but also (laughs) just that, you know, I mean, the codependent in me growing up with an ACOA mother who was untreated. For those who don't know, ACOA is adult child of an alcoholic. And just that. That's one thing I was good at. And it did make me feel good. And I'm curious if there were because you say it was every day that you were kind of checking yourself. Were there any particular practices that you leaned on for that? Or was it just constant mindful awareness and looking at yourself?
1: Yeah, well, the practice is about mindful awareness, but also, Mm -hmm. honestly, I got into the field because I ran out of other options. Like I'd been, (laughs) I'd been traveling, and I'd become an auto mechanic, and I was a waitress, and I wanted to continue to work on cars and wait tables in six-month spurts, and then go travel and come back, and then amazing. Both of my arms got massive tendonitis where I couldn't use Mm -hmm. my hands, and I ended up working in a retail shop and wanting to die every day. And I was oh 10 years old. And I went to the newspaper and there was an ad for the school I'd gone to. And so I mm-hmm. went back to doing that, being devastated and just being like, crap, okay, fine. And then I found the thing that made me the best version of myself. And Mm. I think when we're looking for professions to not just go, am I good at it? Or do I like it or whatever? But is it an arena where I walk in and I get a space to be the best version of myself? And that would be, for me, I found access to a level of compassion and I found that I didn't have other places. And so Mm. I would lean into that and go, this is going to teach me about the rest of my life or I would have the calmness about when I showed up. But the truth was, is that each time that I was learning a big lesson, it came from a crisis, not every time, but Mm -hmm. you know, at one point I got transferred to a school in outside of the Santa Cruz city area and into Watsonville, which is mostly Latino. And I was working with people whose primary issue was gang affiliation Mm. and secondary substance abuse. Mm. And I was the absolute outsider. I was the only one who wasn't Uh, Latina. And I came in and they were like, go in here and tell us what's wrong with this program and make it work. Yes. School, which is like (laughs) an horrible place to be. Right. And I mean, I'd had a little bit of education about biculturation, but I really thought because I grew up in the one little tiny neighborhood that had different races in Santa Cruz that I was like exempt from needing to have uh, awareness about privilege and blah, blah, blah. So And I was there doing what I'd done at the Yes School and the kids hated me. And I had been the favorite Mm -hmm. counselor always. And they slashed my tires and they keyed (gasps) my car. And I got threatened a couple of times and I couldn't understand it. But I was in a position where I was like, I don't have skills to do another job. And if I quit, I don't have a place to live. And Mm. I was in this office going, I need the money. Yeah. And I don't want to be here. This isn't the same as what it was like where I got loved back. And I had to come to a place of going, why am I really here? Yeah. And if I'm going to stay here, I have to get to that why. And it was this very reckoning experience where I had to get really clear on, okay, if nobody likes me and nobody's going to get anything out of what I give Hmm. and I don't have any control over that, who do I want to be anyways? Mm. And I boil it down to some clarity, which shifted everything for me later. I got to a place where I was clear that I wanted to be a loving witness to these people, Mm. that I wanted to stand and be a loving witness to whatever they'd experienced and whatever they wanted to share with me and whatever they were going on now. I really, really wanted that, whether I got liked back or not. And I wanted Mm. to be a person that would offer up everything I possibly could to have people have access to health and healing. And it didn't all miraculously get better, but I got Mm -hmm. better and I got able to walk through not being liked and come to my authentic self because I was resonating with this. It doesn't matter whether I go into a group counseling session and everyone tells me I'm stupid Mm -hmm. as long as I can at the end of the day be like I showed up and I was a loving witness, which then stopped me from doing a lot of the bullshit that a lot of people do Mm -hmm. when they in that position. They
0: do power struggles and all of that. One of the things that I have found so awesome about this podcast for myself, like I've realized how much this is for my own healing, the podcast. And and oftentimes I will listen back to episodes later to write the notes and there'll be some medicine in there that I'd forgotten about. What you just said is exactly what I needed to hear. And I am 100% sure that other people who are listening, that's what they needed to hear too. Because What you're talking about, there's a subtlety to it, right? Because I can certainly show up day to day and be like, yes, I'm in it because I want to heal people with addiction and I want to spread love and joy and rainbows and unicorns and all that. And all of that is true. But what part of me really does need that positive feedback when I think about sessions that haven't gone well or people who haven't liked me, I get really affected by it. And what you said just resonated so much. That's something I'm really going to think about for myself just being a loving witness and that being the purpose. I fucking love it.
1: Girl! One, being a good healer doesn't mean that you are going to be liked. That right. Usually it means that at some point they're going to be mad at you.
0: Yeah. I, oh, that's part yeah. of it.
1: Like, oh, yeah. yeah. And I think maybe the experience of being the kid that people absolutely did not think I was going to be back, even though Mm. I graduated the program and had taken everything they'd given me. Mm -hmm. But I'd left being like, screw you people. I hate you. And Mm. so you never know. And in my experience, I did. I had the experience of the young woman came in. She was the last person I would ever think would ever become a counselor. And Mm. then four years later, I was hiring her. And so I was like, yeah, you never know. It's planting seeds. It's being present. It's not getting involved with the ego Mm -hmm. strokes of being able to go. Your health has anything to do with me. I feel honored. I get to feel
0: that miracle of it, but I can't rope my self-esteem to it. Right. Because then we're tied to the externals all the time.
1: Yeah. It's the Mm -hmm. same in everything in our life. We get tied Mm -hmm. to the externals. We get tied to feedback instead of Mm -hmm. what we put in. And just showing up.
0: Yeah, I remember the day that I recognized for myself that if I was going to not lean into the negative feedback, I also couldn't lean into the positive feedback. And that was many years ago. And I've since forgotten that. So I need to revisit that.
1: (laughs) That's totally, yeah, I need to remember that. (laughs) Especially having a social media platform where I've recently really committed to a next level of love and acceptance of myself. And I Mm. put this post up that was like so much about, like, this is about love and acceptance of myself. And then I got a couple negative comments Mm. that had nothing to do with that post, but I grab onto those and I get like, "Eh," and I'll even call somebody and be like, oh my gosh, this person wrote this like meme thing. I will forget that there are, 200 right. other amazing, loving comments that I will just go, uh-huh. Yeah. Like, okay, thanks. Right. But that the one person who's correcting my grammar, I'm going to go call somebody and spend 10 minutes talking about. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> so yeah. I think I need to remember what you're
0: saying. Yeah, no. And I had the same experience. I got a bad review from one of my students and I've been teaching for four years, never gotten a bad review before. And of course I'm just obsessing over this one bad review. Like, That's just what we do as humans. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's transition to more of what you're doing now. Uh huh. So writing. Tell me more about the writing. And I'm guessing that was somehow a call. Like, how did you come to answer that call? And what are you writing about? Tell me everything. (laughs) How did I answer the call is the first question. Yeah, Um, I know. I I asked 20 questions at one time. So you pick whichever one resonates most with you.
1: (laughs) I've always been a writer. I've been writing since I was really young. I have a journal I wrote when I was 11, and I've loved books, and books saved me. I come from a really dysfunctional, really abusive childhood, and my house was around the corner from a library, Mm. and that was my sanctuary, and so I was this little kid that was running drug deals at 10, running bags across town and Mm -hmm. living this life and getting high at nine. And then I would go and spend my mornings when I could in the library. And it was this like stable ground for me. Mm -hmm. And so I knew from really early on that I wanted to be a part of that tradition. I wanted to tell a story and I always took writing courses and I got into a writer's group when I was working at the Yes School and with this woman, Ellen Bass. I don't know if you know her work. She wrote The Courage to Heal.
0: Okay.
1: It's a childhood sexual abuse. uh, Yeah, I feel
0: like I've heard of it.
1: Yeah. I would go into the bookstore and read it when I was (laughs) like Mm. homeless street kid. I would I couldn't buy the book, but I would just go read it and be like, whoa, there's stuff I can do to heal from this. And then she's a writing teacher in my area. She has since become my good friend and mentor. And now I co-teach with her. writing. Oh, my God. That's so incredible. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah, she is incredible. So I took a writing course with her and she really supported me. She really just said, You have talent and you should Mm. really pay attention to it. And so I was in this writing group for a while, squeezing it into the time that I had outside of running these treatment Mm -hmm. programs. And so then I knew that I wasn't really thriving and as happy as I used to be for a while. And then I went Mm -hmm. on a river rafting trip that I'd taken the Mm. kids on every year for nine years. And I went on the trip and we got to this most dangerous rapid and hit a rock on my way down <gasps> and got trapped under the boat. What? We were in this rapid and they were holding the boat in place so that we didn't go into this next <gasps> phase of the rapid. So I was doing what they told me to do. But the way it was set up is that I couldn't get out from under the boat.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And my face was smashed up against the bottom of the boat. And the only thing I thought about was my memoir.
0: Mm.
1: And it was horrifying. Like, yeah. And so I got out and got back up on the boat and I knew that my life was about to be extremely different. And so within, Mm -hmm. by the end of that school year, I had quit my job and moved out of Santa Cruz. I was in the town I grew up in partially and was like, I'm willing to do anything to write. And mm. at the time I was willing, I'm like, I think I might be broke. I think I might have to go and work in a coffee shop again, like I did mm-hmm. in my twenties, mm-hmm. but I was dedicated to writing. And since then I have started teaching writing. Ellen, I think Ellen felt a little guilty cause she was like, you should strip <laughs> everything away. That's not writing. And then I was like, I stripped it all. And now I'm poor. And now and I'm poor. Like, oh, Thanks. <laughs> so Amazing. She, uh, she really supported me to become a writing instructor. And now I am finishing my master's degree, master's in fine art and creative writing. Hmm. I actually have my thesis sitting in front of me that I'm packing to take to school to Mm. finish my master's degree, which is crazy. Wow! I'm the first woman in my mother's line to get a high school degree. And, And so for me to get a master's, it's really wild. And so then I'm doing that. And then I also, the spiritual as fuck stuff has taken off and become a real passion of mine. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing more things with that. I got a publishing deal for some products for spiritual as fuck, which I'm going to awesome. be launching. And then I'm doing more work on that. When I became a full-time writer, I needed some time off from being directly connected with people on the personal healing. Mm-hmm. And that, But I mm-hmm. always knew that I was like, that's not a part of me that is going to go away, that I am always going to want to be doing that work. Now I'm doing it on of less, well, I'm doing direct because I get a lot of people contacting me on direct message on Instagram. And mm-hmm. up until this point, I've just been writing them back. And so I'm going to be launching some newsletters with thoughts and advice and stuff like that. And then I'm also going to be answering more questions like an advice thing because mm-hmm. I've been doing it. And so I'm like, well, right. why not start sharing it other people, so those are the things I'm doing. Ugh. I also, you know, worked on cars and I was a professional swing dancer and I, well, you know, like right. We all do a bunch of stuff. Yeah, you've already had nine lives. Plus,
0: yes. I had nine lives before I was like twelve years old. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I truly believe, and I always tell my clients, is that I believe that people with addiction issues are called to a higher purpose there's a reason why you get that wake up call to change your life and Mm -hmm. to stop using and holy shit you've gotten so many of those right (laughs) like your higher power is for real like giving you exactly what you need and telling you where to go it's just I just love it incredible Mm -hmm. is the word that keeps coming to mind Mm. yeah thank you As we just talked about, like not taking in too much of the good stuff. Right. And I'm like, oh, blah. you're amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think aside from me being amazing, when I look back on the opportunities I've been given. Yeah, it is incredible. I have a big thing about gratitude and I can't look at my life and not be conscious of that, that Mm -hmm. it is filled with a lot of trauma and it is Mm -hmm. filled with a whole lot of very intense stuff that I wouldn't wish on other people, but it also is filled with these amazing gifts of, of yeah. like clarity and opportunity. And that's really what the writing I'm doing and going to be putting out for spiritual as fuck is that I was like, well, why, why me? Why do I not right. just that I can be funny sometimes or be deep or that I have the ability to write, but what are the gifts that I've been given that I want to be generous with? Yes. And that, that's how I've gone about social media is that I'm like, this is an act of generosity. This is me working towards something. I need a social media platform to be a writer nowadays. How can I do it in an odd way? I'm generous. And the thing that I've really, really felt lucky about is that I was through the trauma. So through growing up the way that I grew up with, I mean, any type of abuse you can talk about, I had, Mm. and I had it where the social workers would get freaked out by what Uh. my brothers and what had happened to my brothers and I. So being given this very clear level of trauma and then getting directly, the moment I had agency, I was in a place where there were healers around. There was always somebody there. Hmm. And yes, I had something in me that made me grasp onto them instead of avoiding them. But the truth was that I grew up in the beginnings. I don't want to take anything from the Me Too movement, but Mm -hmm. I know that the reason why I am the way I am is because Ellen Bass in Hmm. 1980s was doing groups and starting the process of saying, sexual abuse is yeah. real. Yeah, It happens to kids and you should tell your story. And I grew up in the same neighborhood that that movement is yeah. happening in. That gift of going, not only do I have the experience of the trauma, which as a person who counsels and heals and helps is that there is an easier access to being able to engage with people. I don't think you absolutely have to have that because I mean, Ellen didn't experience childhood sexual abuse, but she is able to look down that hole with people yeah. of that wound and and not flinch. And mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much access I've been given from what happened mm-hmm. and what I've experienced to being able to stand with other people as a loving witness because I'm not freaked out by it. Yeah, I'm able to be there because of my experience and because of Every step of the way. Like I grew up with what was happening with that movement of like, let's talk about this. And like Mm -hmm. from the moment from twelve years old, I was talking about it and I wasn't gonna stop talking Mm. about it. And then to be in the town where the first clean and sober high school in the world had just started the moment I get sober. So those gifts are for me that are where I'm coming from, where I'm going. Like I've been given these two gifts and I wanna be able to be generous with them.
0: Yeah. So well I feel like that's a great segue into the conversation about wounded healer. Usually I ask about healer first and then wounded healer, but you basically just said it. You know, how do you feel about the term wounded healer when it comes to yourself and your story?
1: See, I've listened to your podcast and I kept going, how would I answer that question? <laughs> how, would I? how would I answer? And it's different every day because what really? at one point I just go, I don't resonate as wounded you know, that thing where you walk into a room, I mean, I know that we all still have it, but I could walk into a room and just like walk up to the person that had the kind of trauma that I had. Like I can pick out the the sexual abuse survivors. I can pick out the neglect. I can, we just, you know, the the resonating thing. Oh yeah. But I think I pass now, like with other people, Hmm. I think they know that I'm like kind of big and intense and they probably know I've Mm -hmm. been through some shit, but I'm not really engaged with my wounds that much anymore. I think they're really integrated. But the term wounded healer for me sounds like just somebody who is alive. Yeah. If we're doing anything. Yes. We're always healing. That's the only thing that we're always doing until the second we die, we are healing and we are constantly healing. It's our entire job. And that we are all being wounded and just even cells, but there's nobody who walks through this life without being wounded in some way. Mm -hmm. And there's nobody who is here for even a second who's not doing healing. And so there's that part where I just go, well, it's everybody. We're all wounded healers. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. there's some of us who are called to help others. And there's some of us who have either the ability to look down that deep, dark pit that is the beginnings of where we start our healing
0: mm-hmm. and
1: some of us have a gift for it, but we're all capable of it. We're all doing it. Yeah. And then there's the other part of me that's just like, no healer. It's too hippie of a word. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm not a healer. I'm not, you know? mm-hmm. I, I just know how to talk shit the way that people get it. And then they stop f- making stupid ass decisions in their life.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so. But that is healing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just so interesting how, I guess just depending on your your history with a particular word and the energy that you feel with it, I think that's really all that kind of goes into whether we resonate with those terms or not. And as you were talking about the wounded healer, the thing that I was thinking about is I've had some conversations with folks where there's a recognition that you can live from your wounds or you can, like you said, be integrated with your wounds. And when you're living from your wounds, then that is more of a, a needy sort of like vampire type place that is not ideal for a wounded healer to be <laughs> trying to work yeah. with other people from that place, right? It is from that place of integration where we have more capacity to touch other people and really help them grow. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I'm thinking about the people who have been really instrumental in my healing and the major ones didn't have the same kind of wounds that I had. And so mm. we used to have a lot of people come in and like the kids at the yes school would go, like, I don't want to have a therapist that's not in recovery from addiction right. because they don't get it. Right. But I'm like, the woman who started the school is not in recovery from addiction and she mm-hmm. got it. Mm-hmm. And she hadn't had sexual abuse and Ellen hadn't had it. And the major therapist in my life had had, had a lovely childhood. But she was able to check in with herself and her Mm -hmm. relationship with pain and her relationship with loss. and was on her edge of growing and that's the thing i think that makes us not live from our wound in the sense of like bringing our wound in as currency yeah yeah and so i think that that's a thing for people who are entering into the field of helping people heal is that you don't have to have the same wounds and right. you don't even have to have giant ones but that you do need to be engaged with your own healing you can't impart what you don't have in yourself like you can't yeah. you can't give something that you're not integrated into yourself so If you Mm -hmm. want somebody to take a huge leap in their life and take risks or talk about the thing that most scares them and you've never done it, it's going to come off as
0: bullshit and manipulation. Yeah, 100 percent. And it doesn't matter what the topic is like. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't. I remember when I started working in the treatment centers and I was supposed to teach people how to meditate and I was like, well, I don't fucking meditate. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I started meditating, you know, uh-huh. and from that, I've gotten so many gifts from it and then been able to really walk people along that journey. And that's just like this small example.
1: The mm-hmm. other thing
0: I was thinking about as you were talking, you know, about living from our wounds or just being able to use them as information, real empathy We have to be able to take off our own stuff to see other people clearly. And that's the piece that if you're not doing your work, if you're not working to heal your wounds, you can't take your stuff off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's how probably Ellen does what she does. And the person who started the yes school, I know that's how I do what I do, because I'm not in recovery from substances. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's being able to touch into that pain and then just see somebody clearly I feel like in our society, it can be a real challenge to see each other clearly. And that's probably like my number one thing in the world is I just want to be seen, really.
1: Yeah. I really like the idea of taking off your stuff. I think that that's the same as what I was thinking of, like when I would walk in, when I was really doing the best work of my life at the Yes School. There were years where every day, no matter what was going on and what heartbreak I was dealing with Mm -hmm. or what, what I was healing... I could walk into the yes school and that it wasn't like I would take off where I was at or anything, but Mm -hmm. I would be able to be truly present where I was. But then also with that idea of the wound not being a place that we operate from. I think that people will get confused when they're doing that work of like, well, I'm just going to leave everything about me outside the door and I'm going to show up as this empty container for people to then barf their pain into. And then that's what (laughs) that's what being a loving witness is or the idea of like, I'm going to see you. I have this ability to see you. And Mm. then I mean, I remember people reflecting things back at me because they thought that they could see people. And right, I would be right, like, right. that feels gross. That right. does, It feels like your stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. So to
1: not get wrapped up in that, like you just be present and you do everything you can to be as authentic and be clear that you're actually, your goal is to witness and see yeah. them, but you also could be wrong. And that takes a lot to just be like, right. at any second I could be horribly wrong. And that they're here in front of me for a reason. And it just
0: goes back to that loving witness. Yeah.
1: But the smugness about healing or that is something that really, I think, working with for the last few years of working at the Yes School, I was doing a lot of training. And I really was invested in training people to be effective because I would be really dismissive for many years about new therapists. I'd be like, oh, my Mm. gosh, they're horrible. Like, I just can't handle them because they're so Wounded and whiny and want to help and blah, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I got like, these are people who brought their heart here. They're Mm. spending time and money and everything to just come and do do this thing that other people don't want to do. And so when I finally got compassion about that, I really got into how do I help those people? How do I show up for them? And I'm very opinionated about it, I guess, because I'm talking a lot about it.
0: I am too, though. That's why I work with young social workers, because I really want to be involved in setting them on the path to doing their own healing and then being more effective to help others. Absolutely. I'm, I am on the same judgmental horse as you. <laughs> We're riding together yeah. into the sunset. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I think that there's a thing where people want to arrive and we all yeah. do want to arrive. Oh, and there is yes. something about becoming a therapist or becoming that healer place in people's lives where then we're we've arrived and I'm like mm-hmm. uh-uh. like I would I would go like all these kids have to go to five 12-step meetings a week
0: mm-hmm. and
1: what are you doing on your time like yep. when they would start working at my place I'd be like you need to do a month of five 12-step meetings a week I don't care which 12-step meeting you pick yeah. but you got to go That's and they would awesome. be like how dare you blah 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 and I'd be like Why would I ask the kids Mm -hmm. to do that and not you? And they're like, you're the one with the problem. And I'd be like, "Uh -uh." Mm uh-uh. They are just being very out loudly human. Yeah. And expressing this out loud. And Mm -hmm. what we do is we hide. And that, of course, like I don't expect everyone to be going to 12-step meetings all the time. But I think we really should be pushing ourselves as
0: healers to be doing the work. Yes. I mean, and that's exactly why I have the podcast. I do a lot of speaking gigs and... It always baffles me when people aren't doing the work, aren't going to therapy, aren't looking at themselves or practicing some sort of spirituality. And it's essential. And I mm-hmm. actually I always thought that if everybody had to go to 12 step, like the world would be such a better place.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually would uh, modify that to say if
0: everyone worked all 12 steps. Yes. <laughs> you're so right. And, and really worked them instead of just buzzing through them. Yeah. I could continue to talk to you for hours, but I know that you're super busy and you haven't even put lipstick on yet. So <laughs> I want to I move towards closing this out. Is there anything that you didn't mention that you want to share with listeners today?
1: I think that the thing that I most want to put out in the world about my social media platform and about spiritual as mm-hmm. fuck is that when people will write to me and the thing that Used to get me to like clap back more is when people would be go, though, that's not very spiritual.
0: Mm.
1: I put something up that was funny or edgy or whatever, and mm-hmm. they'd be like, that's, or if I would engage with like telling somebody like a clear boundary that is not mm-hmm. like if I, when you, I feel statement, that's not very spiritual. And the thing that I really want to have expand is that everything is spiritual. Yes. And that the engagement towards having consciousness and engaging with our agency about how we use our beliefs and how we use our time and how we use our attention is spiritual. Mm -hmm. And just that engagement with that is spiritual. And that hopefully when you identify that agency, when you identify, I make the choice about what I believe, I make the choice about what I put into all my senses and how I engage Mm -hmm. with the world and what I put out into the world, that hopefully that brings about being kinder and more empathetic and more available and more authentic and more real. And so if that manifests as for me, I watch baby laughing videos (laughs) (laughs) In order to be spiritual, Mm -hmm. and that I watch dogs being funny, or I think poop jokes are spiritual, because they're engaged with like the deep humanity of like people being real. And I think that when I read Rumi, or when I read spiritual books, it's a similar thing as when I giggle. Yeah. I think that's the thing I've really come to identify about why I'm so engaged with spiritual as fuck is that I'm like, I really, really, really want to honor people for all the ways that they are showing up and just challenging themselves about whatever wound that they're dealing with or whatever Mm -hmm. ways they feel restricted in loving people and loving the world and loving themselves. And to honor all of those ways. Cause I think the more we honor those tiny things, yes. like if we're honoring that I pop zits when I'm nervous <laughs> and that actually <laughs> I is love self-care, it. Yeah. that we are gonna be way more able to go, wow, I do self-care. The next thing is like, oh look, I went and popped some zits and had five minutes in the mirror doing this thing, that then I'm like, oh, I do self-care, then I'll make a cup of tea. And it moves towards the more we identify what is actually us taking control or just honoring our ability to choose. And when we're choosing love and positivity, it's deeply spiritual. Fuck yes.
0: (sighs) (sighs) Roxanne, (laughs) you're a fucking delight. Oh, thank you. You're a delight too, Sarah. Oh my gosh. This has been wonderful.
1: yes.
0: Yes. I'm just so overwhelmed with how great Instagram has been for the podcast, just for making these connections, finding people who I resonate with and people who I know the listeners resonate with. So I'm so grateful you took a chance on me. Oh, thank you. I'm (laughs) grateful, too. Awesome. I think
1: you're super awesome. And I'm already a huge fan of the podcast.
0: Oh, thank you. That means a lot. We were instant messaging and I told you I thought we were going to become fast friends. And I've just I've just fallen into friendship, love with you. Just Mm -hmm. so my editor always makes fun of me for the love fest that happens at the end of every fucking interview. So, Andrea, I just want to say, keep this fucking keep it in, Andrea. Keep it in. We're in love, Andrea. We're in love. You don't understand us. (laughs) You can't keep us apart. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, thank you. And I hope you get to put your lipstick on and enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Thank you so much. I hope you (laughs) get to do whatever self-care it is that you need to do today, too.
0: So show of hands, does anybody get annoyed by the love fests that happened at the end of my interviews? Okay, I see no hands. So I can only assume that you enjoy the love fest as much as I do. So that means Andrea, motherfucking keep them in. <laughs> so I really hope you enjoyed this interview with Roxanne McDonald. For more information about her, you can find it on my website at www.headhearttherapy.com podcast. Also, I'm going to say it one more time. Do not forget to follow Spiritual AF on Instagram. Thanks, as always, to Andrea Klunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art photo, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, bye-bye.